Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, friends. One week. One week until the election. And here we are in this last stretch. Wanting it to just come to a conclusion and hopefully the right one for America. And that's where we see ourselves. But we have this brief respite, perhaps uh, 12, maybe 24 hours where we get to enjoy the good guys and gals getting a victory. Remember how about three weeks ago I told you that it looked like it would be possible the president would have a great trifecta, a, a triple crown, if you will, of victories, beating COVID, getting ACB confirmed, and winning re-election all within a month. It would be pretty amazing if that ends up happening. We are two out of three right now. Getting pretty close. Amy Coney Barrett, 52 votes in the Senate. And now she is the uh, ninth Supreme Court justice. She's eminently qualified. All the things you've already heard, right? She's brilliant. She's ethical. Everyone respects her. She'll be fair minded. It's exactly the kind of person you want on the Supreme Court. But because she's not a left wing activist pretending that she'll be uh, a, a fair minded and impartial textualist right because of all that the left is throwing an absolute fit which we knew they would but the things they're saying don't even make sense are untrue are just kind of silly and i know that we're going to have to dive back into the election state by state this battle ahead uh, for the next six days but i want to take a little time that i just just to make sure we all understand What exactly the Democrat claims are around ACB, why they're complaining so much about this, because it tells you a lot about the modern Democrat Party, tells you a lot about where they are, what they really think and how they're willing to conduct themselves, which I think the American people should really think long and hard about before casting any ballots in this uh, election. This is a party, the Democrats, that has been complaining about undermining institutions and norm busting. For four years, this has been a constant refrain that Trump is actually a a threat to our democracy. After calling him a racist and a fascist, that might be their their third favorite epithet for Donald Trump. There's no truth to any of this, but they like to say it. It makes them feel better about Hillary's loss. It makes them feel like somehow they're always in the right, no matter how absurd their claims about this president and his supporters, no matter how much. Their prognostications about an, a, a, a Trump that couldn't handle the economy, that would lead to wars, all these terrible things. None of the predicted calamities that Democrats were so certain of, none, none of them happened during the Trump presidency. The only challenge that did hit Trump and hit him hard was something that hit the whole world that nobody could have predicted and that we are still trying to work through now. But all of the things they weren't saying, oh, Trump's not going to be ready for a pandemic. They were saying that Trump wouldn't be able to handle the economy. A lie. The economy was booming. A better economy than Obama ever had in eight years. Oh, I guess that's just circumstances, right? Just just lucky. We also we want to talk about luck. I think we all understand that if there wasn't the covid pandemic right now, uh, Trump would be looking 
looking to a, a massive landslide. I mean, I think he really would win in a, a, the biggest landslide since, uh, since Ronald Reagan. And, you know, unfortunately, he got dealt a tough hand here with COVID. The whole world has, and, and the United States along with it. But they hate this president. And one of the major claims is that he's unwilling to respect the norms of our government, even though how do they usually challenge Trump? They take him to court. What's Trump's response to being taken to court, having government lawyers make their case and then respecting the judgment of the judicial branch? That's what ends up happening. The process exactly as it is supposed to be done. And that's what we see here with the ACB elevation to the Supreme Court. It was the process exactly as it is supposed to be done. When they use words like illegitimate, they are changing the very definition. They're not giving you a real criticism of the process. They're just saying, I don't like. And they're trying to find fancier words because they don't want to sound like a bunch of spoiled brats who can't handle when they don't get their way. Well, the problem is that's what the Democrats have turned into as a party. They never have any stiff upper lip, never any sense of, okay, we lost this one fair and square. Let's make a better argument to the American people. It's always Russia. Trump cheated. This is illegitimate. This is not the way it's supposed. No, it is the way it's supposed to go. And that connection with reality that liberals are at least temporarily being forced to make is a good thing for them. Perhaps it will mature their party a little bit, although I think the much more likely outcome is that they're just going to dive even deeper into their sanctimonious insanity. That's what you think. Uh, that, that's what I think is going to happen. I think you probably believe it, too. Chuck Schumer taking the lead on this for the Senate. Senate Minority Leader Schumer, a man who will say anything, anytime, as long as it benefits Chuck Schumer. Here he is on the ACB nomination. But, but let me also say, and Democrats, some of them made, made fools of themselves last night. I mean, Maisie Hirono got up there and said, hell no, and just made some kind of a scene during her vote. You know, Maisie Hirono, I, I, I love Hawaii as a state, and I really like the, the people of Hawaii, and I always enjoy it when I go there. But I'm angry at Hawaii still over Maisie Hirono. She is the dumbest person in the United States Congress, and it's obvious to everybody. Why is this person a United States senator? Does, does anybody have a, a good answer for that? Anyway, Chuck Schumer's not dumb. He's just not ethical. Here he is. Play one here at this late hour, at the end of this sordid chapter in the history of the Senate, the history of the Supreme Court. My deepest and greatest sadness is for the American people. Generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences of this nomination. Generations yet unborn, Chuck Schumer says, yes, generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences, perhaps, of being born. That's right. There will be consequences that occur during their lives that they will be allowed to have, at least in some places, in some states, if Amy Coney Barrett does overturn the horrific, just from a legislative as well as moral position, Roe v. Wade decision. That's really what this is all about. They, they tried to make it about Obamacare, but the problem for the Democrats is that if they talked more about abortion and where their party is on this, it becomes hard for them to pretend they're moderates. 
the official Democrat Party position on the issue of abortion is any time at any at, at any time for any reason funded by you against your wishes and special protections because this is a constitutional right. Special legal protections in, in addition to you can have one. They, they should make sure that, you know, you, you don't have any blocking of the pathway to a clinic, all these other things. This comes from Planned Parenthood v. Casey. That's their position. And it might not change, actually. And the, and the, and the Supreme Court may not overturn uh, Roe v. Wade, even with Amy Coney Barrett there. You see, our side, speaking of norms and process, those who are constitutionalists accept that you're not getting a guaranteed outcome here. Uh, look at John Roberts, although I don't think he's really a constitutionalist. I think he's I think he's a stealth lib. Uh, look at Gorsuch, even on the recent uh, gender and sexual identity case that came up. Right? L- look at what happens on the right. They're not guaranteeing you anything. They're just guaranteeing a certain approach to the law, whereas Democrats are guaranteeing an outcome as judges. That's what they want. They want this to be decided before it even goes before the court. They want certain things to be ideologically guaranteed, and they, and they worry they no longer have that guarantee. But for Schumer to talk of generations yet unborn suffering consequences, I have to think that he did that on purpose to signal to his base that he knows this is really about the abortion issue more than anything else with the Supreme Court. It legally indefensible. Roe v. Wade is is completely absurd. I mean, it put aside the moral atrocity for a second. This is not something that a, that a good faith lawyer could argue and think is really the law. But we've all been trained. We've all been forced to comply with this, to live in a country where this is now the regime. And it may change. And ACB may bring it about. What a consequential thing. President Trump now has three Supreme Court justices in his first term. Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. And there were people that were mocking those on the right in 2016. Remember? Oh, but Gorsuch was some kind of a a, a slight. This is what anti-Trump, quote, conservatives who now are openly Democrats rooting for Joe Biden, of course. But this is what the early, you know, never Trumpers were saying. Oh, yeah. You think it was worth it just to get that one judge? Well, actually, it was three Supreme Court justices and also a largely remade federal judiciary across the board. uh, Circuit courts, appeals courts uh, and the profound impact that will have on this country for decades to come. So if you only voted for Trump because of judges. If that was the only reason uh, you've, you know, you've invested in a stock that paid big time dividends. But of course, there are all these other things that we've seen the president do that make him worthy of reelection on top of it. And we'll certainly talk about more of those today. But that's right. Schumer is is vowing revenge here. Democrats are scorned. It's like they've been broken up with and they're saying, we're going to make you wish you'd never done this before. We're all worried. Gosh, what are they going to do now? Play clip two. As the globe gets warmer, as workers continue to fall behind, as unlimited dark money floods our politics, as reactionary state legislatures curtail a woman's right to choose, gerrymander districts and limit the rights of minorities to vote, my deepest, greatest and most abiding sadness tonight is for the American people and what this nomination will mean for their lives, their freedoms 
their fundamental rights. Monday, October 26, 2020, it will go down as one of the darkest days in the 231-year history of the United States Senate. Oh my gosh. Cry more, Schumer. Cry more, Libs. You are reaping what you sowed here. This is on Harry Reid and the Democrats in the Senate and the Democrat Party stretching back for decades. This goes to the blocked nomination of Robert Bork, of the attempted blocked nomination, unsuccessfully, of course, of Justice Thomas. It was so fitting that Justice Thomas was the one who swore in ACB last night. Goes to the blocking uh, of Miguel Estrada, uh, Democrats blocking him. And then Harry Reid and the nuclear option. Sorry, you know, they they changed the rules. We're playing by the rules as they change them. Too bad. This is politics. And yes, as Mitch McConnell said, play uh, play clip six. Our Democratic colleagues keep repeating the word illegitimate as if repetition would make it true. You just say it often enough. Does it make it true? I don't think so. We're a constitutional republic. Legitimacy does not flow from their feelings. You know, legitimacy is not the result of how they feel about it. You know, you can't win them all. And elections have consequences. And what this administration and this Republican Senate has done is exercise the power that was given to us by the American people in a manner that is entirely within the rules of the Senate and the Constitution of the United States. Case closed. That's it. Elections have consequences. These are the rules. Everything was legitimate. Democrats need to find something to say that is true if they're going to complain about this so much. Just start with that. Stop lying, libs, and start getting used to calling your Supreme Court justice ACB. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. This separation of duty from political preference is what makes the judiciary distinct among the three branches of government. A judge declares independence not only from Congress and the president, but also from the private beliefs that might otherwise move her. The judicial oath captures the essence of the judicial duty. The rule of law must always control. My fellow Americans, even though we judges don't face elections, we still work for you. It is your constitution that establishes the rule of law and the judicial independence that is so central to it. The oath that I have solemnly taken tonight means at its core that I will do my job without any fear or favor and that I will do so independently of both the political branches and of my own preferences. I love the Constitution and the Democratic Republic that it establishes, and I will devote myself to preserving it. All of this sound thinking, virtue, wisdom, decency, jurisprudence that's worthy of the name, all of it is somehow offensive to the Democrats right now. 
In fact, even when Trump, for example, praises Ruth Bader Ginsburg in memoriam, saying, well, ACB is taking on the seat of a great pioneer. You can tell they get offended by that. Like he shouldn't be able to even say the initials RBG. And oh, they hate it so much when all of us say ACB. The left has already told us that, which is why I really make a point of saying ACB all the time. But you'll notice the way that they approach all of this. It's almost like decency, uh, constitutional interpretation that's not politicized. That's not uh, the, the judge judges essentially telling the public, a judge like Amy Coney Barrett, telling them, I'm going to apply the law as written and I'm going to be a faithful, a, you know, a faithful arbiter of what the constitutional and legislative intent is of any given statute. I'm not going to just give people what I think they should have. For liberals, that's like garlic smeared on the face of a, of a vampire. I mean, they, they hate this. They're like, what do you mean you're not going to give us what we want? They've gotten used to this decades and decades of on on the biggest issues, nine out of 10 times, big social issues in particular, Democrats get their way on Obamacare. The plain language of, well, plain language, I mean, the, the plain meaning of plain language was abused so that they could save it the first time around. A tax is a penalty. A penalty is a tax. And they they contort themselves because who, who wants to be the judge who's held responsible for taking away pre-existing conditions? Who knew that all those years that I lived in this country without Obamacare, I was just unaware of the millions of people without any access to medical care who are just dying on the streets all the time that Obamacare saved? Really? That's that's a thing. Hmm. Interesting. That's the way that it's positioned. But they hate all of this. They hate also the, the decency and humility and kindness that ACB exudes. Remember, they were pointing to all of these polls uh, before her confirmation because the media called the five alarm fire. Oh, my gosh. Trump's going to fill another Supreme Court seat. So they created this. This frenzy around it. And then when everyone saw who Trump had appointed when these hearings happened, we saw this person who's just legally several tiers above. I mean, as a legal mind, she is in a whole other echelon from the Senate Democrats who are desperately trying to trip her up. And she wasn't smug and she wasn't, uh, you know, condescending or rude about it. She just is better than them at this, knows more than them. And that came across, but also has a fundamental kindness and decency and and has look, I'm just just going to say it, a, a maternal warmth. You know, she, she seems like a mom. She seems like the person who, you know, your kids, if, if they were going to go play with their friends and she's the mom that you would want to be watching them and, you know, making them some beef stew or something after a cold day playing in the backyard. That's who Amy Coney Barrett is. She also happens to be legally brilliant. This is all offensive to liberals. They they ah, they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They hate all of it. Like I said, what's that all about? Right? Maybe if just the sight of the crucifix causes your skin to melt off, the problem is you. You know, maybe somebody who's so decent, so qualified and such an asset to the United States, to our system, uh, 
not being celebrated tells us much more about the people refusing to do the celebration. In fact, the condemnation, that's what they are doing. And that's why we saw right away the switch from you can't do this. You're breaking norms, which is not true. You can't do this. This is illegitimate. Not true. Right there. There are some things that are true and some things are not. We can go through this. They there their claims about this as uh, as being in any way illicit, illegitimate, prohibited by any rules anywhere is a lie. But then they switch from that to, OK, well, now we're just going to break all the rules. This is, this is one of the most classic Democrat whiplash moments I've ever seen. Nancy Pelosi gets right to it. She, she's very upset. She's waking up. She's got a it's got a hangover that that. That soft blanc she had last night was just delicious, but uh, it's tiring. Here she is telling everybody what she thinks should happen. Play four. Well, I think that Joe Biden has given us a good path. He's going to have something that people can understand why this is important. And I like what something that Brian said about not just the Supreme Court, but the other courts. It was a hundred. Oh, well, in 1879, in 1876, there were nine justices on the court. Our population has grown enormously since then. Should we expand the court? Well, let's take a look and see. Right. But not, and that relates to the nine uh, district courts. Maybe we need more district courts as well. And one other thing we need, we need for these justices to disclose their holdings. Why should all the rest of us have to disclose our holdings? And that is appropriate, but not if you're a justice of the Supreme Court. They're in this ivory tower. Pack the courts. She's just saying it straight up. She wants you to know this is going to be the plan. Notice the timeline here. If you take a a chronological overview of what the Democrats have done, they politicized the court and then they realized that since they'd done that and they were getting away with it, they wanted to keep it that way. So then they started blocking judges they didn't like. And then they got rid of blocks on judges they did like. And they were warned at the time, including by Mitch McConnell explicitly. "Okay, but now you're going to have to deal with us getting through judges that we like and you don't. They didn't care. I mean, they're like a child who's been caught lying, you know, caught lying about doing his homework. And now instead of accepting that they should just do their homework, they should just accept reality and responsibility. They're going into school and they're just trying to steal somebody else's again. They're trying to find some other way around this. There, there should be a principle here. There should be a grounding in what the rules of the road are. Why is this? Okay for Democrats, they should ask that question. Why would court packing be acceptable? Well, they think it's because they shouldn't have to live in a country where they don't get what they want from the courts. Where on decisions where some Americans want one thing and other Americans want another. It's not the law as written as passed by the legislatures. And then, of course, with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as the framework for all of this is the foundation for it really and and weighing these uh, weighing these different legal interests it's just one side should get what it wants the other should suffer in silence and that's what we've seen for the courts for at least the supreme court for a long time they don't have to deal with that in their minds but we should i mean think about the the lack of logic here the lack of adult thinking 
they're going to change the whole system because all of a sudden the system doesn't work to their advantage. But I thought that the system should be in place in such a way that it's not about advantage. Right? That there are other the legislative branch of government is supposed to be what makes determinations about within the framework of the Constitution, within the framework of the Bill of Rights, what we do, you know, what our government does in this country. So on their clothes, you know, what should the tax rate be? Legislative question, right? Well, you know, you look at all these different issues, you know, what should be illegal? Legislative question. Right? This is what, you know, what crimes, what, uh, what criminal statutes should be passed. But the Democrats like to have this stopgap of, uh, or rather this, uh, this fallback of having some super legislature that they feel like will always, at the end of the day, cave to the pressure of the mob and give them what they want. And they just assume that our side is going to just keep taking that forever. Why? Why would we do that? They haven't really even thought this one through because the Democrat Party has become the party of the mob. It's the mob mentality made into a political uh, political union. It's just what, what does what does the frenzied collective demand? What do the emotions of the masses, irrespective of law, precedent, history, natural law, you name it. What does the ma- what do the masses demand right now? And Democrats try to try to deliver that, which is why you're seeing uh, what was AOC time to pack the courts. There are there are others as well. You know, others as well. The more radical Democrats just say out loud what we know the rest of them feel. Here's uh, Ilhan Omar, place seven. I mean, this is really an illegitimate process um truly that has exposed the hypocrisy of republicans as they've rushed through this process and um have foregone many of the traditions that they have set themselves uh and it's leaving so many americans really worried uh, about what this would mean for them what it would mean for women in regards to reproductive rights what it would mean for immigrants like myself um, when it comes to our religious liberty, what it would mean for our brothers and sisters in the queer community or the trans folks in our community um, when when it comes to their rights to equality. Uh, we also know that there are so many people who are worried because they have pre-existing conditions. Um, and I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much there that's blather. I, I don't have time to go through all of it. Uh, what exactly is she so when, when, first of all, I this this term reproductive rights, just say abortion. There's no other reproductive right we're talking about. Just say what say what the procedure, say what it is. Abortion. Right. I, when we're having a conversation about taxes, you don't hear me saying, oh, well, you know, the 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 gov- the, the government requested donation from your personal bank account to the Treasury. No, we call it taxes. It's not reproductive rights. It's abortion. Let's just use the word. Let's all understand what we're talking about. But when politicians resort to euphemisms, as George Orwell so uh, eloquently uh, wrote about in his uh, politics in the English language, when they resort to euphemisms, you, you know that something's up. If they can't tell you what this if they can't use the words for what they're really trying to do or what's really going on. They're obviously trying to fool you in some way. They're trying to avoid responsibility, to evade accountability in some fashion. But the other part of this that I, I found uh, really interesting was that it's rushed through. This is another just eh, another just whiny nonsense point. 
They're saying that it's rushed through. Well, what what would be a, a fair enough timeline? What would be a fair enough timeline? We already saw ACBs entirely qualified. What else do we have to see? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. One week, friends, until this election. One week, and I do want everyone to stay oh so motivated right now. You're going to have to stand in lines. You're going to have to convince those friends of yours, those relatives who are, you know, either worried about COVID being outside, you know, waiting in lines, or they're worried about uh, you know, making the wrong decision or whatever, or, or they're apathetic and they just don't care. You got to get as many people as you can out there. And I think one good way to motivate folks would be to have Hillary Clinton explain to them how horrifying it would be to her if Donald Trump won four more years. So terrible. Play 21. I can't entertain the idea of him winning. So let's, you know, let's just preface it by that because it makes me literally sick to my stomach to think that we'd have four more years of this abuse and destruction of our institutions and damaging of our norms and our values and lessening of our leadership. And the list goes on. <sighs> lessening our values. Isn't it amazing that Hillary Clinton really thinks that she's in a position to talk to people about values and decency. I mean, this is a woman who has been a professional liar for the last, oh, 30 years or so. This is what she does. But she's the moral compass of America, and she's worried. It makes her sick to her stomach. What was the really terrible thing that Donald Trump did in this? Oh, I know. He's responsible for 200,000 COVID deaths. Idiots think that. That's true. Is he responsible for the COVID deaths in Argentina? which right now has the highest per capita death rate from COVID of any place in the entire world. Is that Trump's fault? Or I just I just want to know. Europe is now going through lockdowns and people are protesting the lockdowns in countries like Spain. They're saying, hold on, we already did this. And we have still they still have been they didn't uh, the, I, the media wants you to think that these other countries. Oh, it turned into a wild party and everybody was going out drinking and doing all this stuff. It was all normal. No, that's not true. Just like it was in a lot of places in this country. Limitations on gatherings, people still being cautious, people still masking. Big spikes in cases. Well, that's not very, for those who believe, you just have to listen to Fauci. It's not very encouraging, is it? They're doing everything that they tell us to do, and we're still having big spikes in cases. Maybe what they're telling us to do is insufficient. Maybe it doesn't even matter. And remember when it was 15 days to slow the spread? Why wasn't it 15 days to shut the virus down entirely? Or why didn't they just tell us three months we're going to shut this down entirely? We're going to we're going to kill because they know it's impossible. So if it's impossible to stamp out the virus entirely, what are you doing by putting imperfect mitigation measures in place as we are? Right. You're just extending the timeline of transmission. And it's not even until vaccine because Dr. Fauci, this is the latest, is telling people now, well, even if you have a vaccine, that only will uh, th that is likely to prevent you from getting symptoms, but it doesn't mean you won't have the virus. Hmm? Well, is, is he now claiming that even with the vaccine, you can still transmit the virus? Is that is that the claim? Folks, we're going to be locked down. The bureaucrats are going to keep doing this to us until we say enough. Shut your face. You don't know what you're talking about. Leave us alone. I have rights. I'm done with this. Until we reach that point as a country, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to go, wow, there's no, there's no downside for them. 
what do you think Fauci is so sad that, uh, you know, the bars are all going out of business and he can order takeout. He's fine. He's rich. No problem. So it's a, it's it's really stunning. I, I know I'm getting off on a little tangent here about this, but the the whole pitch for Donald Trump losing this election is covid. That's really it. Oh, and he's a racist and a you know rapist and a sexist and all, all, all these things, right? All the Russian asset, all the stupid stuff that they say. But the only policy area where they think they can really dig in is on COVID. The president uh, understands that. He knows that this is the game that they're playing right now. And he's just saying, look, it's, it's going to change. On November 4th, all of a sudden, there's going to be a very, a very different feeling on this one. But... Until we get to that point, we don't know how the American people are going to finally come down on this. Over 60 million early votes cast so far. So, yes, if you can vote for Trump, at least you'll be upsetting Hillary Clinton, which in and of itself is a thing that I, I would I would assume everybody's very pleased about. I, I know that I am. And I'm glad that the president is also pointing out that Joe Biden's running a very risky strategy here. He is running out the clock without knowing what's really on the scoreboard. Would you do that in a sports sports game? The, the coach saying, I feel like we're ahead. I don't even I don't know what the score is, but I, I think we did better. I think we scored more baskets than they did. So let's just pass it around and see if we can run time off the clock here to finish this thing out. Now, that's one thing when you know you're up. They don't know they're up. They think they're up. So instead of trying to score, they're just trying to prevent the other side from scoring. And that's with this uh, keeping Biden home situation uh play 17 you know it's funny i thought it wasn't going to make it but one thing unlike joe where he goes into a basement if he loses and you know who knows what what happens right it's called an election he should be ashamed of himself because he didn't work and and, no seriously he didn't work one thing i did five six and sometimes seven of these in one day those last few days and during the regular time i do two or three today today i'm doing three of these tremendous crowd waiting for us at another point yeah biden's work ethic on display for everybody here calling lids calling it quits of course he's now saying oh we we work we work super late all the time this is joe biden trying to explain that one play 14 a relatively light public schedule in the past few days. Can you give us a sense of what, how much you'll be traveling in the next few days, where you might be going? I just told you where I was going to be traveling, and I, by the way, I traveled the last few days, too. Are you, are you going to Iowa, sir? I'm going to be going to Iowa. I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm going to Georgia. I'm going to Florida and maybe other places as well. There's a lot we've been doing as well in terms of being online and social, de- uh, excuse me, uh, everything from fundraising efforts to making sure we Meet. I've met today with a group of leaders in the Democratic Party laying out where we're going to go, getting their input and the like. So we're constantly there's not been a day that hadn't been a 12 hour day yet. That's right. Joe works super hard. They call it at 9 a.m. a lot of days, but he's, he's working, working hard. What's the point of going to a state if you're not going to deal with any people or talk to any of the actual residents? Maybe they'll speak to a handful or something just for the appearances sake. But. Usually you you campaign so that you get out there and you see the folks, right? That's not what's happening at these Biden rallies. So he's going to these places just to go a little bit. I I think someone pointed out uh, it was Dagan McDowell from Fox that, you know, Biden was uh, saying he had an event in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it just happened to technically be across the border from Delaware. It's 20 20 minutes from his house. (laughs) That's Biden 
really, really putting in the extra mile. Look, maybe they don't need to. Maybe they are protecting a lead that they actually have. I'm not convinced. I think Donald Trump's still going to win this thing. But as I've been telling you, I think it's going to be very close. I, I believe you might have an election here that comes down to one state. I've been looking at the numbers. I've been playing with the delegate counts. And you may have a situation where Trump gets to 272 and Biden gets to 262. That's actually a, a, a viable scenario that I uh, war gamed out uh, earlier this week when I was looking at how this would all add up. And you know what the, you know what the deciding factor would be in that situation pennsylvania it all comes down to pennsylvania if trump wins pennsylvania ohio and florida he's basically got this thing i don't think he's going to win michigan and wisconsin i think that those are probably or, or, or iowa but he can lose those states and still win if he maintains everything else from 2016 including pennsylvania florida and ohio he's got to win the big three swing states which means that Pennsylvania, which last night, uh, oh, no, uh, Pennsylvania's already extended its ballot deadline. Wisconsin tried to extend its ballot, uh, its ballot counting deadline, but the Supreme Court said no. Democrats obviously very upset about that. Uh, They always seem to think that by making fewer rules, making it easier for things to go awry in election process, that somehow they're the ones protecting and defending democracy. Uh, but this is uh, quite, a, quite a strategy the Biden team has here. Don't do very much. Just sort of be there. Let the media carry the water for you. Let the media do the heavy lifting. Biden's like the manager on the site while the construction workers are actually building the house. Right? He's like, yeah, good job, guys. Yeah, keep going. CNN and MSNBC, they're the ones out there in the trenches really making it happen. Um, is, is there an enthusiasm gap? This, these are now the intangibles. I mean, you, you have to look at some of these intangibles for why Trump could still win, given that as I look at all the polling, he's behind pretty much everywhere that matters right now. According to the polls, that's not the same thing as saying he's actually behind everywhere. Right. Um, most of the national news media, the punditocracy is already confident of a Biden win. And he is in this run out the clock mode, but I still think Trump's going to win. It's not going to be a landslide, though. Like I said, I think Trump is just going to barely squeak past 270. I think he'll get to between 270 and 280, let's say, electoral college votes. And it could be a one state race. But even if that's the case, it's going to be a massive shock to the consensus driven world of uh, political prognostication, as you know. And I do think it's going to be the absolute dogfight in Pennsylvania that determines this could even delay the final election because if it think about this you have all these states finally that are called and counted but pennsylvania is too close to call and that's the that's the state that will determine who wins the election and they've got a few extra days after the election to count ballots can you imagine what we are setting ourselves up for here i I think there's a very real chance this is the way it's going to go i know we have a lot of listeners in pennsylvania so you'll definitely have to share your thoughts with me about which districts you think or you know, which areas of the state are going to be key in this whole process. Um, but I think the biggest reason for optimism is the intangible stuff right now. For one thing, you know, Trump is going all out in the last days of his campaign. He's doing multiple events a day. He's taking his pitch for four more years to this string of 10,000 person plus, you know, venues. These crowds are huge. 
And look, I get it. I understand that anecdotal information is dangerous in a political season. Um, and I've had word from the campaign's ground game in Florida, Ohio and Pennsylvania. That they think that there is a fire in the belly of Trump's uh, Trump's base. That's just going to defy all expectations come Election Day. But. The thing about a silent majority, is you don't know it's there till it speaks. And we're going to have to see if they speak on Election Day for this president. I know the MAGA faithful believe so. And this has been a very challenging year for the country. It's very tough to feel like, you know, what the zeitgeist is. What is the pulse of the nation right now politically? And I do think Trump has turned the corner. There's a momentum to his campaign right now. And Biden is largely hiding in the basement. So is he right? Is Trump right when he says that Biden is hiding because people don't have enthusiasm? Play 18. And we had two of them, and Sleepy Joe was down there, and they said, you got to get out of this basement. So he traveled from Delaware to a little tiny corner of Pennsylvania, like right next to Delaware, and he made a speech. And he said that he doesn't do these kind of rallies because of COVID, you know? Because of COVID. No, he doesn't do that because nobody shows up. That's why. Because nobody shows up. It is tough to, I know a lot of you are saying, see, Buck, and I've seen the photos too, but what a convenient excuse, right? Biden's had a convenient excuse not to be out beyond his handler's reach on this campaign trail, right? Where they keep him on a very tight leash, and he's been able to get away with this because of COVID, right? The hiding in the basement routine, and the very sparsely populated events that he does have, it's because of COVID. So there's a, there's a lot of... A lot of unknown here, friends, but absent some truly outrageous last minute ambush, I think Trump is going to find his uh, is going to spend his final days in this campaign focused on radical Democrat positions like fossil fuels, extreme lockdowns, higher taxes. That's all stuff that may do well in Santa Monica for Joe Biden and his donors and on the uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. But energy industry folks in Pennsylvania probably want to keep their jobs. And Pennsylvania is the key. Isn't the Keystone State? It's the the keystone to this election that's for sure and i still have this feeling this deep sense that trump is going to once again blow away the doubters and the haters and he's going to make political history he he pulled off what you you remember felt like a political miracle back in 2016 i think he's going to need something similar this time around to get it done but i still believe the trumpster is going to pull it off thanks for listening to the best of buck daily podcast for more buck head to bucksexton.com And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Let's recall, what was the biggest news story of the summer in 2020? Was it the recovery from COVID-19 the economy was having? No, that was a story, but it wasn't the thing that dominated the headlines. It wasn't what all of social media was constantly alight with. It wasn't that. No, it was protests against police brutality. That's what it started out as, right? The Black Lives Matter movement. And then it very quickly morphed into corporate America bending the knee and begging forgiveness from the BLM movement for all the historical oppression and and inequity in society. And then it turned into toppling statues, including statues of uh, Christian missionaries, you know, Junipero Serra and conquistadors and Christopher Columbus and I mean all kinds of stuff right it began perhaps with a few civil war confederate uh, statues but they also went after statues of Abraham Lincoln so 
there was the statue toppling frenzy. And we were all told that if you oppose that, right, if you thought that it was unnecessary to pull down the statue of Theodore Roosevelt in front of the Museum of Natural History, founded in part by Theodore Roosevelt in New York City, you're a bad person. That's what we were being told. And then there were all these riots and they kept happening. There was this night of the purge, as I call it, in New York City, where midtown Manhattan had people just shattering storefronts and looting. And the, I mean, Macy's, one of the most famous department stores in the world, was 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 looted in, in Manhattan, in the biggest city in America. Just people running in, stealing stuff, smashing the windows, hundreds and hundreds of people running around. Very few arrests made. It was madness. Somehow we were to believe that this was about protesting police injustice. And it was all uh, all kicked off by the the George Floyd incident with police in Minneapolis, where eventually uh, or, or soon after this, that incident happened, a police station was burned down. Remember that in Minneapolis, they burned down a police station. Hmm. That all dropped off right around September. All of a sudden, people either didn't care as much about police brutality, with the exception of Portland, which is now just like an anarchist an anarchist zone. They can do whatever they want there. Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, is a little moron who's Antifa's errand boy and is always defending them and trying to make sure that no one says mean things about them, even while they're spitting and cursing in his face, because that's what lunatic left-wing losers do. Um, but they clearly recognized the more organized activist protest left realized that they are going to have to stop doing so much of this because if they show how much defund the police quickly turns into just hating police and demanding a separate set of rules for left-wing activists from the rest of society namely that you can attack cops and not suffer any consequences you can destroy property you can be a a federal criminal vandal and should not suffer any consequences uh that when people see that they over time recognize that this is wrong that this should not be allowed that this should not continue and we have one week before the election night i'm not sure that it's going to be even determined whether who wins you know who wins or loses that day we have one week left and just before people are going to be lining up here, if they haven't already, I know 60 million have voted early. They are reminded of what Biden voters and BLM activists think is appropriate behavior in a major American city. Last night in Philadelphia, uh, West Philadelphia, which is a part of the city that I've actually spent time in because it's where the University of Pennsylvania is. Uh, you had a man who was a 27 year old black man was shot by police officers. It is on bystander video and they have body cams. All right. So here's what ended up happening. You had uh, cops show up to the scene. And they there was some there was some disturbance and. Uh, Walter Wallace, Jr., uh, said uh, had a knife in his hand and police police were trying to get him to drop it. They said drop it many times. It's all on video. He comes at them with a knife. And they shoot him. Now, look, this is a tragedy. 
nobody really thinks that in a situation in a situation like this, you know, the the outcome that is that is desirable from anyone's perspective is the use of lethal force. It's a shame. It should not have had to happen. But unfortunately, it did happen. And that doesn't mean the same thing as saying that it's criminal or it's wrong or it's illegitimate for, for the police officers to have used lethal force. It's a tragedy. It's not a crime. Not the same thing. If you have a knife and you walk toward police officers and they tell you to drop the knife and you don't do it, they are going to shoot. This is very basic. This is very, there was another incident, I believe, it was also in Philadelphia like this pretty recently where a guy came out of a home is going toward a cop. They say that he's emotionally disturbed or he has some mental health issues. That's sad. But again, the cop does not have to get stabbed in the chest or the neck or the face because of the history of systemic oppression in this country. That, that's not no individual is going to do that. Any individual, regardless of their race and regardless of the race of the attacker who is in, you know, in law enforcement, when confronted by somebody who has a lethal weapon, who does not put it down and who is closing the distance between them, will use their weapon will use their, their uh, lethal force under the law. And that's what happened here. So what was the response to this? How, how did the people uh, involved in these heated protests, that was the, the line that I kept seeing last night, how did people in these heated protests respond to all of it? Well, uh, they looted, of course, because what better way to show you're opposed to police violence than to steal sneakers from innocent people who have nothing to do with police violence, right? There's a store owner, there's employees. It's just theft. They're, they're not stealing from cops even, they're just stealing from people. But, oh, they also attacked cops. 30 of them were injured. One female police officer in Philadelphia run over by a guy, it seems intentionally, uh, with, a, with a car. Drove a car into a line of cops. That's the kind of stuff that's happening in Philadelphia right now. 30 officers were wounded including with broken bones getting getting hit with you know with rocks and the usual mayhem that we see in the streets the democrat party embraced this the democrat party really is is responsible for this mentality that somehow this is acceptable that when there's an incident that involves police there are body cameras we're, we're all going to see exactly what happened why, why the resort to violence looting and destruction right away yeah, there's camera footage. I've seen it. We could play it for you here on the radio on, on the show. But I. It's just it's disturbing. It is disturbing. I mean, it's somebody who's you're watching in real time as someone loses his life. But I can tell you, having watched the video, he's moving aggressively. He has a knife in his hand. There's no dispute about the facts. He's going toward the officers. Two of them. They have their guns drawn and they're saying, drop the knife, drop the knife, drop the knife. What do the BLM activists, what do the Democrats talk about police reform? What do they want these cops to do? Oh, and, and then you immediately hear afterwards, well, they shot 10 times. Maybe they should have shot him in the leg or something. Um, I'm assuming they probably had nine millimeter handguns. They're terrified. They could very quickly be killed in this circumstance. And the assumption is that if you're going to try to shoot somebody in the leg, what if then 
it doesn't actually stop this person from closing that distance and they're able to get one stat one good stab in at your neck or your vitals do you want to take that chance you shoot to stop the threat that's it that's the way law enforcement's trained that's the only way they can be trained and also, you're trying to shoot somebody in the leg, the chances of you missing are high. And you can very easily kill somebody if you shoot them in the, in the pelvic girdle. They'll bleed out very quickly, too. So it's not like this is as simple as, oh, why didn't the cops just do something else? I'm even hearing people say, well, they should have used the taser on him. Uh, do you want to try to taser somebody who's coming at you with a knife who's eight feet away? How quickly do you think they can close that distance? You sure that taser is going to fire? You sure that taser is going to work? This is now that this is now the new normal, though. All of the second guessing of law enforcement, the undermining of cops, because it plays to a narrative, a narrative the Democrats need right now that America is racist, that cops are bad and that any dysfunction or problems in minority communities across the country is predominantly the fault of aggressive policing and law enforcement. That's really that's really the problem. That's the violence that should be of greatest concern. In New York City, we had almost a 3%, uh, sorry, 300% year-to-year increase for last week in shootings, but it's cop violence that we all need to be worried about. I think everybody saw last night in Philadelphia a reminder of what the Biden voters out there really think should happen. People get upset because they've been taught to think that cops are the bad guys, cops are the problems, and then if they want to act out, if they want to break the law, they should be allowed to do so without consequence. No, not if we're going to keep living in a country called America where rule of law matters. You're not, you can't do that. People do need to be punished for this, and the, the punishment should be severe. Although if you look at the district attorney, Krasner in Philadelphia, I'm sure people will get off for this stuff. Assaulting officers, looting stores, stealing. Democrats are the party of lawlessness. Once again, it's emotion over reason. They have an angry mob. The angry mob must be placated. I hope everybody remembers this going into the election. I hope that anybody who has not yet made up their mind just thinks, what's my community going to be like when the party in charge is the one that coddles the rioters, the looters, and believes that cops are the bad guys, even when someone's coming at them with a lethal weapon and being told, stop, stop, drop the weapon.